Well, I think it's fitting that the last words that we sang before we start today were, here in the power of Christ, I stand. I want to just be really honest with you this morning. Uh, It's been a while, hasn't it? (laughs) It's been an interesting month since I was hired and have become the pastor. I feel like I'm kind of a stranger to the pulpit a little bit. (laughs) I promise you that wasn't my plan. I wasn't trying to get out of work or anything. That was just something that was planned. And, um, and honestly, I can see how maybe it's been good for me and all of the busyness and getting used to things to have a little bit of a break. Um, but I, I want to be really honest with you and transparent with you this morning. Sometimes, as a, as a preacher or a pastor, you just have a great idea And you just, or maybe it's not, maybe you think it's a great idea, but you have this idea for a sermon or a message, and you just can't wait to get up and preach this message. And all week, you're anticipating, you're like, oh, I I can't wait to give this message. You guys have heard me do that a couple times, right? I, I, I have a hard time hiding that excitement. Then let me tell you the opposite side of things. Occasionally, you'll have a week or a couple weeks where you're just kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And maybe you have something, but you don't know whether it's going to be that great or I don't know. Can I be honest with you and tell you that um, that's kind of been my week? <laughs> um, honestly, in the transition, as I, was, as I was speaking in the interim, I had no problem thinking of things, and, and God was giving me um, inspiration and ideas for what we should talk about, and, and it was easy. And then you guys hired me, and all of a sudden, like, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the pressure. All of a sudden, like, there's more pressure on it. I don't know if it's just a busier schedule. Um, I've been praying. I even went away for a couple days trying to say, God, what do you want us to talk about? And and I'll just be honest with you. I've I've had a little bit of, like, I've I've been a little bit stuck. I've been, felt like, you know, I was kind of running in quicksand, and so um, then, then a couple weeks ago, I found out, because I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best calendaring person, I found out that we have faith promise in a couple weeks. So I kind of had an idea of where we were going to start going today, and then I found out that faith promise is two weeks from today, and I thought, okay, we're going to have to put that off. And so I was kind of at a place where I was like, okay, what are, what are we going to do here? <laughs> I, I'm trying to get ahead, I'm trying to be prepared, I want you to know that we're doing that. And so last week we had a service project um, at Meadow Ridge, and it was incredible. You're probably going to see some pictures of it, and we'll talk about it a little bit next week. And there was a Lakota Point service project, and and I was thinking about those in an access last Saturday night. Um, I just decided that it would be a good idea to talk about God multiplying. Because I was looking at at the communities we were serving in, and I was thinking, it's great what we're doing. We gave out a lot of clothes and a lot of food, but man, the problems there are just so huge. What can we really do? And the story of the five loaves and two fish, the story of of Jesus feeding the 5,000 came to my mind and the idea that God multiplies. And so I talked about it just kind of briefly last Saturday night. And then you know what I thought? That needs to be a sermon right there. I need to preach that sermon. And so I decided I'm going to preach that sermon, but here's the thing, we got two weeks, and so that's next week. And so this week I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then in my studies I came across the story that we're going to talk about today, and I've been thinking about the God that multiplies, 
And I came up with, with the story um, from 2 Kings chapter 4. And I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to talk about. And, and then I'm trying to be really honest with you guys. Please don't judge me too much. But this has been a really busy week. Thursday and Friday, I was at a conference all day. It seems like I've had things every night. And so just honestly, I knew what I was going to talk about this morning. I, I knew the idea. But I was kind of in a place where I was like, man, I hope something comes to me before Sunday. And then the other night, um, a, a couple nights ago, I, I really sat down and, and started getting into it, and I read some commentaries, and that's one of the things I like to do is read the Scripture and study the Scripture and then read some commentaries and study the commentaries. And then one thing I love to do is I love to go listen to other people speak about the topics. One of my favorites is John Piper, because I think he does a phenomenal job teaching the text. And so I went to his website. On his website, he has a list of every scripture that he's taught about, and you can just go to the scriptures and you can find it. So I went to listen to John Piper, and this is like the only scripture in the entire Bible that he doesn't have a sermon about. And so I'm like two or three days ahead of having to preach this sermon, and I know the idea, but I, you know, I'm just kind of like, man. So I stumbled on something else. I stumbled on a T.D. Jakes sermon. How many of you know who T.D. Jakes is? He's got a church in Dallas. He is awesome. And I gotta tell you, Friday night, I listened to a 50-minute T.D. Jakes sermon about this text, and there were tears just flowing. Because I really believe that even in the struggle even in the lack of clarity that I had, even in my struggle, I realized that this is exactly where I need to be and where I think we need to be this morning. So what started as a week of struggle and a week of, of not knowing turned into a message that I couldn't wait to preach to you today, just in the last couple days. And so I'm excited to talk to you about the God that multiplies. I'm excited to talk to you about this story. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at two miracles. Um, these miracles both show us the God that multiplies. And this week, we're going to talk about how God multiplies within us. And then next week, we're going to talk about how God multiplies through us. So this week, we're talking about God multiplying within us. So let's just start here today. You already possess what you need to be who God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. I want you to hear that again. You already possess what you need to be who God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. You already possess it. That's, if, if that's the thesis of what I'm going to talk to you about today. You already possess what you need to be who God wants you to be and what God wants you and to do what God wants you to do. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times we're looking for that golden ticket. We're looking for that thing right around the corner that's going to get us to where we need to be. We're looking for that silver bullet, that perfect thing, that perfect circumstance to fall into our laps and get us to where we need to be. I don't know about Can, can you guys relate with that? Maybe it's, hey, I just need to come into some money. 
How many times have you thought, man, if I could just win the lottery, everything would be, would just fall into place? How many of you have thought that? I've thought it. I don't even play the lottery, but I've thought that. Maybe you've thought, hey, if I could just get a better job, if I could just get that job, then everything would be okay. If I could just move into a different role, everything would be okay. I just need that change that's around the corner to change everything. Or if I just got the right boss or the right person to mentor me, if I just found that thing, everything would be okay. Or if I just had a better support system, everything would fall into place. How many of you have thought one of those things before? If I just, if I just, and we're looking around the corner, and we're looking for that golden ticket that's going to take us to where we want to be. I'll be honest with you, for, for me as a pastor, a lot of times it's if I just had that one great idea, or if I just had that one great piece of training that would make it all come together and would, would just make me into who God wants me to be. If, that, if I just had that one thing, Thursday and Friday, I told you, I, I went to a, a leadership conference. It was up in Dayton. It was actually in Willow Creek, but they, video, they did a video feed out to about thousands of churches, and so we went up to Dayton and, and were a part of the Global Leadership Summit. And I went there, and when I go to conferences like that, I typically go thinking, if I can just get something great from this, that'll really pump me up, if I can just get that idea. And so I, I got to hear from Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek. He's amazing. If you've never heard him, go, you can find him, internet. Andy Stanley was there. I always love listening to Andy Stanley. And there were all these great speakers and all of this great information. And I think in my mind, I thought, if, if I can just get that, that next piece of great information, then, whoo, we're going to be going but guess what? What we're talking about today was born out of the struggles that I've had over the last few weeks, was born out of my own um, lack of clarity. It was something that God laid on me, I believe. And so today we're going to look into the miracle done in 2 Kings chapter 4. This miracle happens under the work of the prophet Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. I promise you I'm going to mess that up at some point. You don't have to come tell me, I know it. But Elisha was the successor to Elijah. And Elisha was a prophet, and under Elisha's ministry, that God did uh, many miracles. And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, um, we see one of those miracles. It says this, The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Let me just stop for a second. Guess what I found in my office? A small jar of olive oil. It's not mine. It was in the pastor's office. It must have been, um, it must have been dad's in there, but I found it, and so I thought, hey, we got a little, uh, a little visual aid for you today. A small jar of olive oil. That's all she had. 
Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now this is crazy, right? She's got a small jar of oil. And Elisha says, go borrow a bunch more jars and then pour that out into those jars and as they are filled, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? This one is not even full. I don't know if hers was or not. How's it gonna fill a bunch of jars? As they are filled, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and she told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So we see a miracle where a small jar of oil fills a house, I don't know how many jars, but many jars of oil through God's miraculous work. Let's take a look a little deeper into the story and let it speak to us a little bit. First of all, we see that this woman is in a really bad spot. Her, her husband has died, she's just lost her husband, and apparently they're in a good bit of debt, and so now the creditors are coming to take her children. She has nothing to pay her debts on her own. There's no way she can get out of this. And now she's about to lose the only thing she has, which is her boys. What does that leave her with? A widowed woman with no one to help her, with nothing in her possessions. She's about to lose it all. She already had nothing. And it was so bad that she went to the prophet Elisha and called out for help. There's no visible solution. In her power, she is done for. Her family has been faithful to God, but still, because of circumstances, she is left in big trouble. She's left at the point where there's no other action to do than to reach out to God. Can any of you relate with this? I'm just gonna guess that there are some people here this morning that feel like you're out of options that feel like you've tried and you've tried, but you're out of options and all you can do is say, God, help me. Well, Elisha asked her a simple question, and this is an important question today. What do you have in your house? Let me rephrase that question. What do you have to work with? He doesn't challenge her to go out and find a new skill. He doesn't challenge her to go find that golden ticket. He doesn't say, if you'll go out to this tree and, and over here, and if you'll do this and this and this, then maybe you'll find the thing that's going to save you. What he says is this, what do you have in your house? So I want to ask each one of you this morning, and you'll see where we're going with this eventually, what do you have in your house? What do you have for God to work with? Because the truth of the matter is, more often than not, God uses what we already have to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Let me say that again. More often than not, God uses what we already have 
to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Think about this in scriptures. Jesus is, is there with a blind man, and what does he do? Doesn't go to the drugstore and find the perfect medicine. He takes mud. You know why? Because there's mud there. And he rubs it in the man's eyes, and the man is healed. Or, or the, the Israelites are thirsty in the desert, and they've got no water. And what does, what do, what does God say? Take your staff and hit that rock right there. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think if I went and hit a rock with a staff, that's going to solve a water problem. But guess what? That's what they had. And so they hit the rock with the staff, and they had water. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of, of Ehud, or Ehud. And, and he was a left-handed man, and because of that, in that day, that was a curse, and he was not allowed to serve in the military, because if you were left-handed in that day, you couldn't serve. But God used the very fact that he was left-handed, God used his biggest weakness to deliver the Israelites. God uses what we have, even in our weakness. The disciples are sitting in a boat fishing, and they can't catch anything. And Jesus comes, and they're saying, we can't catch anything, there's no fish. And what does Jesus say? Take your nets that you already have, throw them over there. And they can't bring in all the fish. Or, or Jesus is at a wedding, and they're out of wine for the wedding. And what does Jesus do? Say, oh, you've got to go get me the perfect ingredients to make more wine. No, Jesus says, hey, give me that water right there. That'll work. What they already had is what Jesus used to do the miracle. God often uses what we already have to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. So I want to ask you again, what do you have in your house? This is an important question. Elisha turns to the widow who feels like she's got nothing, who feels like she's got no options, and says, what do you have in your house? Her answer was this. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. All I have is a small jar of oil. Now, most scholars think that this was not a jar of cooking oil, but that this was probably a jar similar to this, and a jar of anointing oil, just a small jar that really couldn't be used for much. And so she didn't have anything in her mind. But here's the thing. The value of her oil was not in the quantity, it was in the quality. Here's the thing. What you have may seem like it's nothing. It may seem like it's not enough. What God has given you may seem like it's nothing in itself. But if God has given you something, it has value. The value of her oil was not in the quantity she had. It was in the quality of what she had. In her eyes, she had nothing. She had something of a little bit of value, but it wasn't enough. In the quantity that she had it, it was not valuable enough. You may think that what you have is nothing. If I ask you that question, what is in your house, and I'm not talking about physical items in your house. If I say, what is in your house, you might say, not much. This little thing is all I have. But as we will see in this story and in the series to come, what you have is valuable when it's in the hands of the God who multiplies. The oil that she had was more than enough. When the God who multiplies gets a hold of it, 
So what do you have in your house? In the sermon by T.D. Jakes, he said something that I thought was awesome, and it's a lot of big words, so we'll talk about it after I read it. But it says this, the only hope that the enemy has to paralyze your productivity is to cause you not to realize who you are intrinsically. He does it by the external circumstances that grieve your heart, gradually convincing you that you have nothing that is productive. Do you hear what's saying there? The only chance that the enemy has, the only chance that the devil has to stop what God is going to do through you is for the enemy to convince you that you've got nothing productive. I asked the question earlier, maybe, maybe some of you feel like you're in a place where you've got nothing, you've got no options, all you have is just a little small jar of oil. But that's worth something in the hands of the God that multiplies. And the only chance that the enemy has to stop God is to convince us that we've got nothing, to convince us that our jars of oil are worthless, but they're not in the hands of the God that multiplies. If you look at what you have as nothing, you're going to miss it. If you let the circumstances of life make you doubt what you have, you will miss God's greatest blessings. All you have to do is give what you have. And so I want to ask you one more time, what do you have in your house? Verse 3 is really interesting. This woman is in great debt she, I mean, all she has is a little jar of oil and her two sons, and they're coming to take her two sons. She's got nothing. And what does Elisha tell her to do in verse 3? He says, go borrow some empty jars from your neighbors. And not just a few. Borrow a bunch of empty jars from your neighbors. Does that make sense to you? I mean, she's got nothing. So what Elisha says to do is, now you need to go borrow some more. It makes no sense when you are out of everything, when you're on your last straw, when you're, when you're about to be done for, when you're in huge debt, it makes no sense to go borrow more. Dave Ramsey, how many of you know who Dave Ramsey is? Dave Ramsey would lose his mind if someone gave you this advice. He would lose it. He... Elisha says, go, borrow some empty jars. And she isn't borrowing jars that can be of use on her own. She's borrowing empty jars. Wouldn't it make more sense to borrow something that she could use to help her get what she needs? But no, Elisha says, go, borrow some empty jars. Let me tell you something this morning. The emptiness of the jars is really important in this story. You can't fill jars that are already occupied. And God fills jars that are empty, not that are occupied. God does his best work when we are, have jars that are empty, when there's room for God to work. If our jars are full, God doesn't have much room to work. And so Elisha knows that God's going to do something great and he says, you don't need full jars, go borrow empty jars, because the God that multiplies is the God that fills empty jars. As a church, I think this is important for us. If our vision for what God can do is tied to our realistic expectations of what we can do, 
If we are operating out of full jars, out of thinking that we're good enough, that we can do it, if we have a vision that we think we can accomplish on our own, there's no room for God to work. We're not operating out of faith. One of the pastors, and, and, and I really enjoyed his message, to be honest, but one of the pastors at the summit thing was talking And his message was all about how what happened at his church was this incredible thing that happened. And guess what happened? He um, organized it down and said, this is how you can see this happen in your church. And there was this system. There was this, if you can find, if you can be open and you can find this next great thing, this next great idea, then boom, your church will take off. The problem is, God works when we have empty jars, not when we can do it on our own. If our vision is about something we can accomplish, it doesn't leave room for the power of God to work. And so I don't know about you, but I want to have empty jars for God to fill. Mark Batterson in the book Circle Makers says that God is offended when we dream dreams that we can accomplish on our own. Charles Spurgeon says, It is not our emptiness, but our fullness which can hinder the outgoings of free grace. In other words, it's not that we're empty, that we don't have much to offer, it's that we think we're too good that keeps God from really working. God fills empty jars. Think about it. If we could do what we're asking God to do, then why do we need God? Elisha asks the woman to borrow empty jars because she can't do it on her own. This is a faith moment. What he's asking her is huge. He's saying, go to your neighbors and borrow things when you're in huge debt. What are her neighbors going to think? What if they turn her down? What if they say she's crazy? What what if she gets the jars and nothing happens? This is a faith thing. Go borrow some empty jars. Let me ask you a question. What happens if she doesn't do this? What happens if she's not willing to take that step of faith and borrow the empty jars from her neighbors? I would imagine that what happens is nothing. And the creditors come and they take what she has and she's done for But Elisha says, go, borrow as many as you can. Go, get as many empty jars as you can, because something's going to happen. A few weeks ago, I talked about dream big. And here's the thing, I believe that God wants to do big things in our lives and in this church. I really do. I'm going to be honest with you. I believe it. I believe that God wants to pour his spirit out on this church, on you, and on me. I believe it. In fact, last night as I was talking to Megan, I said, Megan, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Because I really believe that God wants to do something big. The God I see in scripture is not a God of mundane. The God I see in scripture is not a God of just every day walking through the motions. The God I see in scripture is a God that wants to pour out his spirit on his people. And I believe 100% that God wants to do something big in our church. 
I had the opportunity when I was at Trevecca my senior year to take a class under Millard Reed, who has since passed. He was the president of Trevecca Nazarene University, and before that, he was the pastor at Nashville First Church of the Nazarene. And they got ready to do a building program. They were going to build this big building. They believed in the vision that they had, and they believed that, that God was leading them to build this building. But they didn't have the money. And so he told us the stories about how he challenged his people. He said, what do you guys have? And he challenged his people not to go find the golden ticket, not to go play the lottery so that they could win and have the money, not to do anything amazing. He challenged his people to give what they had. And the stories that came out of that, there was one story of a, of a woman who had been painting but she never sold a single painting. She was just, just an amateur, just somebody that painted for fun. And you know what she did? She said, okay, God, I can paint. So I will give every penny that I raise from selling my paintings, which she had never done, I will give every penny that I raise to the church for this giving campaign. And guess what happened? You know what happened. She sold a, a ton of paintings. And over and over again, people offered what they had to God, and the God that multiplies multiplied it and did something huge, and they got what they needed. And Millard Reed sat there a couple years away from dying and with tears in his eyes told us the stories of the way that God moved through people offering what they had. Let me ask you a question. Why does the enemy work so hard to get you down? Why does the enemy work so hard to stop what God is doing in your life and in the church? Do you know why the enemy does it? It's because the enemy knows that our God is a God that can fill jar after jar after jar after jar. The enemy knows that they have no chance but to stop us from believing and offering what we have. If we aren't willing to borrow the jars, we will miss the miracle of God filling them. If we aren't willing to step out on faith, we will miss God's greatest work in and through us. Let me just take a second here to get really personal with us. I believe that the enemy has been attempting to derail what's been going on in my life and in this church, I'm just being really transparent with you. I have felt it personally. There have been times over the last year where I was so on fire, and I was so convinced that God wanted to do something big. In every one of those times, do you know what happened? Something the external circumstances, something would try to choke that out of me and the negativity and the things that were happening around me would, would make me start to doubt that that could happen, to doubt what I was feeling from God. But the next part, every single time the God that multiplies has said no, I've got something to do. And every time, God has pushed me further and pushed me further. I felt it in our church. I felt at times like we were on the verge of some movement from God, that we were on the verge of something big. I don't think I've beat around the bush about that. I think that God wants to work through this church. And I believe that in many ways, the enemy is trying to throw us off track. 
We've been in transition for about a year. And I'll be honest with you, transitions are hard. I've seen it in many churches. Transitions are a hard time. They can be a time of questioning. They can be a time of frustration. They can be a time of quarreling and fighting and many more things. It's a time where some of the biggest struggles in the church come to light. And if we're being honest, let's be honest today, we've seen some of that here at Westchester Church. We've seen some struggles. We've seen some working against what's been happening. But, but if we're being honest, and we've seen some of that, I want you to know that we serve the God that multiplies. We serve a God that's bigger than our struggles. We serve a God that can work even in our difficulty. Why do we struggle? It's because we want to make the perfect decision and transition. It's our opportunity to make the perfect decision. And when we're looking for a pastor, let's just be honest, we kind of think we got to get that perfect pastor who's going to be the golden ticket to take us where we need to be. We need to get this guy that's, or girl that's going to have great ideas and is going to take us where we need to go. And in some ways, we think that we have to make the perfect decisions. We're kind of looking at what's next. We're trying to find that perfect person. And I, I just want to be real honest with you this morning. I'm not perfect not. And I don't have all the perfect answers to take us to the perfect place. You know what I do have? I have a God that multiplies. I'm not minimizing the role of the pastor. I'm not minimizing the work that the church has done. I'm not minimizing that we have to do our part and we have to work hard and we have to be wise in our decision making. But we serve the God that multiplies. Here's the thing. What God needs from Westchester Nazarene is for us to realize that we have everything we need right here. What God needs for us is, is, and what we need is for each of us to come together and offer what we have to the God that multiplies. We don't need the perfect program. We don't need the perfect idea. We don't need the perfect person in the perfect spot. We need the God that multiplies. Don't you get it? The, the God that we worship today is the same God that split the Red Sea. The God that we worship today is the same God that move, moves mountains. We don't need the next thing. We don't need the golden ticket. We need God. We need the God that multiplies. Let's get back to the story. In verses 5 through 7, we see that that simple, small jar of oil that she had has now filled all the containers that she borrowed. The God that multiplies miraculously turned one small jar of oil into a houseful of oil. And then Elisha says, go sell that oil and pay off your debts, but there's a better part. The last part is huge. He says, you can live on what's left. Not only does God provide what the widow and her sons need to get out of the hole they're in, God provides enough for her to be sustained ongoing and long after. God doesn't stop when she has enough to get out of debt. God fills every jar that she's willing to borrow, every jar that she was willing to go gather and put in that house, God miraculously filled. Because if we have faith, 
and the God that multiplies, God will fill our jars. Church, we serve a God who multiplies. We serve a God that can meet any need, that can get us out of any hole, that can do things beyond what we ever could imagine. We serve the God that multiplies. I don't know about you guys, but I want to see God's miraculous power at work in my life. I want to see God's miraculous power at work in our church. I have no desire to play a game. I have no desire to be successful. I have no desire to have the perfect plan that's going to lead me to earthly success. I want to see God's power move in our church. I want to see the miraculous power of God at work. I don't want the stale faith of the Pharisees. I want the passionate faith of Elijah that called fire down from heaven and consumed the altar. I don't want the stale faith of going through the motions. I want a passionate faith of dreaming big. I want to be crazy because I believe in a God that multiplies and I want to see God's miraculous power at work in my life in this church. Some of you this morning here might feel like the widow. You feel like your debts are being called in. You feel like you have nothing left to give. You feel like you're done for. You feel like there's nothing that you have to offer. I want you to know that you serve a God that multiplies. And you have something that God has given you that God can use to bless you beyond what you ever imagined. And some of you here might be where I'm at. I hope some of you are. That you just want nothing more than for God to pour out his spirit. You want nothing more than for God to move in an amazing way that we can't explain. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that we serve the God that multiplies. And I want nothing more than Westchester Church to be a place where God takes small jars of oil and turns it into housefuls of oil. That God blows our minds and does things that we could never imagine. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot. I go to conferences and I see some of those big pastors and I think, man, they're so smart. They have everything together. They're such great speakers. They're so good at this, man. They've really got it together. And I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot. I'm not the most skilled person in the world. And I think if you're honest with me, you would say you're probably there too. But we serve the God that multiplies. The band's gonna come up. And I wanna ask you this morning, as we sing... That if you're in a place where you want to see God move, whether it's that you're just in the deepest hole you can be in and you feel like there's no way out and you feel like all you can do is call on God, I want you to come. And I want you to offer the small jar of oil you have to the God that multiplies. Or... If you just want to see God pour out his spirit on this church and work in a way that we can't possibly do on our own, I want you to come and offer your small jar of oil to the God that multiplies. Are you with me? Will you join me? And will you offer what small thing you have to the God that does great things? If you're with me, 
come. If you need the God that multiplies to move in your life, come. If you just want to see God's work in an amazing way, come. And let's pray together.